Simply put, Janae Raymond is a creative and has always been. Though she was fascinated by all forms of art, fashion mesmerized her most. Her paternal grandmother was a seamstress, while her maternal grandmother owned one of the most popular boutiques on her native Anguilla. Janae was smitten by clothing, and in particular, swimsuits. As a little girl, she would sketch patterns for all types of clothing. However, by age 12, she had designed her first evening gown for a pageant contestant. That contestant came first runner-up. In her final years of high school, Janae decided what industry she wanted to work in for the rest of her life. Against all odds, she started to craft swimsuit and legging designs while building a team of models and support staff. By her late teens, Janae was designing for pageants and swimsuit competitions across the Caribbean, as well as producing her own runway shows. Janae Raymond has been instrumental in shaping the fashion scene on Anguilla and is considered a pioneer in local fashion. After showcasing her work at her annual shows and participating in shows across the Caribbean, Janae took her designs to two of the biggest stages in the world, LA Fashion Week and New York Fashion Week. By her 20s, Janae had accomplished much of what she set out to do. Most persons around her knew that she was a talented makeup artist as well. However, Janae surprised many people when she decided to pause on designing in fashion shows and enter the beauty arena full-time. In typical Janae fashion, she went in 100% and immediately cut out a niche for herself. Today, she is one of the most requested makeup artists in the immediate region. While her skills speak for themselves, she has taken it a step further and opened her own headquarters and retail outlet called The Face Lab. Janae, however, is not done. This is the story, thus far, of Janae Raymond. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. a clothing designer and a makeup artist, expert, and retailer, Janae Raymond. Welcome to Planet 30. Thank you. You made my name sound very fancy. <laughs> Your name is very fancy. <laughs> <laughs> now, Thank you. Now, Janae, you grew up in, um, and you grew up on the island of Anguilla. Tell us how uh, your childhood was. So describe for us what an Antillian family is, because it's not a, a term that we hear too often. My mother is Kirsteline. Um So she's from Kirsteline. Yes, she's from Kirsteline. And if I can explain it accurately, I would think that their culture is a mixture of Latino culture and then the Dutch culture. It's very different. And they speak Papiamento, correct? Yes, and I don't. <laughs> it's a very rare language. Not many places in the world uh, speak Papiamento. It's a mixture. From what I know, it's only spoken in the ABC Islands. And if it's spoken out of the ABC Islands, those people are usually from there. Um, my mother spoke it all the time when we were growing up, but we were never formally taught the language they would speak in secret in our faces, keep, so to speak. Keep, keep the secrets away from the kids. Yes, right <laughs> in front of the kids. Very <laughs> interesting. Jumping right in with both feet, now, who were some of your fashion influences growing up? My grandmothers. My mother's mother, she had the first clothing boutique on island. 
And my dad's mother, she was a seamstress. So it was basically embedded in me from the time I actually knew myself. I've always been around clothing and construction and all of that good stuff. Interesting. So, so did you sort of have the bug from that age, or was it, or did it develop as you grew older? I always had the bug. Always. Interesting. So, so fashion was always a dream. There was no alternate uh, dream for you. You know, like when you ask a kid, "Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up?" Fashion designer. It was always fashion. Interesting, and and that must have made you a rare child because. Most people, especially when, when children express um, interest in something in the arts, they usually get a side eye, like, excuse me? Yeah, usually they want to be a teacher or a lawyer or a policeman or a fireman. I always wanted to be a designer. Good stuff. I have, I, I think I remember putting together my first portfolio when I was in grade three, so that would make me like around the age of eight. Yeah. Wait, you said you you put together your first portfolio at age eight? Yes. Yeah. Wasn't like a, a in comparison to no, it wouldn't be like an amazing portfolio, but I thought it was a portfolio at the time. And this is a portfolio of your drawings. Yes. Wowza. <laughs> Who? So let me ask you this: Who did you admire? Uh, in pop culture, either regionally or internationally on TV, especially like let's say during your preteen and teen years, who were some of the style icons that you admired? I always liked the Victoria's Secret girls. Um, remember, I, I always did like swimsuits and stuff because I was in. I was always encouraged by my actual surrounding and where I lived is hot, so. So were you into also the uh, Sports Illustrated? No. I actually found out about it. Sports Illustrated in my adulthood. But I remember back then used to get the Victoria's Secret catalog as well. We used to get it in the mail. And I would cut out the pictures and make new boards and all that good stuff. Oh, nice. Okay, okay. Now, going back to your uh, swimsuit designs... You, I know you were not you were not the first person in Anguilla to design swimsuits, but it, it became extremely popular. Like custom swimsuits became extremely popular um, when you started. Tell tell us about that. I think what I did was I made it into a vibe. Um, I launched with a really big fashion show, and then I did this fashion show for ten years. So it was something that people really looked forward to because they were fun. Like I said, I was heavily influenced by the Victoria's Secret fashion show. So I did a lot of things and I didn't just come out with the swimsuit on the runway. It had to be done a certain way to ignite the excitement of the girls. Mm-hmm. And you started working on custom uh, designs and swimsuits for individuals at, at that point or were you just uh, displaying your art? I think at first it started out as a Eventually evolved into me doing custom pieces for individuals, but my thing was the pageants and that arena. Oh, so you design you design swimsuits for uh, pageants as well as your own shows. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. And I designed for a lot of contestants, and and not just in Anguilla, but in other countries as well. Miss Earth, I think it was. Either Miss Earth or Miss World in the Philippines. 
and that boosted my ego she made it into the top 10 or the top 5 with her swimsuit so it made me feel good I was like okay I can really do this but that was like really early in my career Sorry, so, I'm getting, so how old were you at this time? Um, I launched in 2007. I think I was 17 or 18. 17 years old. The first, the first pageant that I designed for, however, I was 12. You were 12 years old? Yes. And you designed I a designed swimsuit? A, no, I designed a dress. For a Miss Angola contest on. How, how did she do? She got first one up. Wow. At 12 years old? So you really knew that this, this was your life's mission? Yes. At the time, yes. Interesting. Now, at 17, I remember you were uh, sort of a local celebrity. <laughs> um, Not that thing. Well, I mean, everybody knew the 17-year-old designer who was putting out these uh, elaborate swimsuit designs, these creative swimsuit designs. It was, and, and I think the culture of fashion was building in Anguilla at the time, alongside who, who I, who I uh, referred to as one of the godmothers of fashion, Charla Hobson, uh, in Anguilla. I'm sorry? Oh, she's your cousin. Oh, so this runs in the family then. And of course, we've we've had the pleasure of interviewing Charla on on Planet Thirty uh, as well before. So the audience should should check out that interview as well. But I think there was a, there was a time when you and Charla were both uh, you know throwing fashion shows and bringing out new designs, and and local girls were uh, getting a chance to model for the first time. What was the moment that you realized, even at that young age, that you were on your way to, to, to being something great or somebody great in the fashion industry? When I started getting invitations to regional fashion shows, it was like invitation after invitation after invitation. And these invitations came because of them seeing your work on social media? Jenny, tell us a bit, a bit about the difficulties that you had early on in, in being a designer. Well, living on a small island, your resources are very limited. So you would have to order pretty much everything. Um, there's also a lot of naysayers. A lot of naysayers. And, and, and how did you handle that at that age? You know, even with adults adults probably saying, oh, who does she think she is? This will never make it. How did you handle that? I have the, I have the most supporting family that anyone can ask for. Like we spoke earlier about when kids are a certain age, they want to aspire to be different things. And most kids who, who express interest in the art they are heavily discouraged by their parents. I didn't have that. I think I could have gone to my mom and say, hey, I want to be a garbage collector. And she'd be like, okay, cool. What do you need to get there? Nice. My mother is, mother is very supportive. Everything that I was in, um, invited to, she made sure that I could make it. Um, she helped me edit my designs. Like, she was like the final say. My mother was very supportive, so because I had like a very, very supportive family, I didn't care. Nothing could stop me. As long as my mother said I could do it, that's all I needed. I just, I was a lot more carefree back then. So if I got invited, I was there. Wonderful, wonderful. Again, 
<laughs> speaking about your age, um, and and it, I know personally it, re- it remains to this day. Where do you get your mindset and your work ethic from? My grandmother. Mm. I can tell you, my grandmother owned the first boutique in Angola, and she opened that boutique in the '80s and closed it in the 2000s. Got it. So she, yeah, it was June intense in the sense that you have to work for what you want in life, and there's gonna be a lot of downfalls, there's gonna be a lot of discouragement, but you just keep pushing, and that's what I always saw. But I was always surrounded about like go getters and make it happen type people, even my friends. Like, the people I chose to have friendships with, they had the same mindset as well. It's very important to focus on the type of people that you surround yourself with. Like, I'm heavy on family. Like, I'm very family-oriented. I like being around people that are my family. But when it comes down to, like, friends, they have the same mindset as me. Most of them. So, Janae... Tell, talk to us about some of your uh, shows over the years. I know that you've done Carafesta in Guyana. Um, you've done shows in St. Vincent, Los Angeles. And, of course, 2014, uh, you had the big, big, big debut at New York Fashion Week. Tell us about those experiences. Um, no experiences like the other person for me. So I was on the island. I think the first fashion show that I went to was in St. Kitts. Um, I did St. Kitts. I did Nevis. I did St. Vincent. Uh, I did, like you said, Carafesta. I'm just trying to remember, like, everywhere that I went doing fashion. It's a lot of places. So hard to remember now. St. Martin's. I did New York fashion, as you said. That was... That was a really good experience because as, at that point, I had done so many regional shows that I felt as though, okay, no, I'm doing. And the setup was different. When I went to New York Fashion Week, I think two days before my actual show, I got to work backstage at a major celebrity fashion show. Am I allowed to call me? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Well, I worked backstage for Russell Simmons' Argyle Culture Fashion Show. And the way that they did things and the way that they organized things, it just made me see things in a different light. Because as many fashion shows as I felt I did, I wasn't that prepared. But yes, it, 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 it's different. Didn't you end up doing makeup for... Uh another fashion show while you were at uh, New York Fashion Week doing your own show or somebody saw you? What's the story behind that? Um, uh, okay, so the venue that I did my show at, I did it earlier in the day and there was to be another fashion show in the night because that's how Fashion Week works. It's a constant, it's constant shows. Um, so, Drama happened outside with a reality star, and they shut down the venue. So, Tiana Taylor had her show scheduled, and it just happened that she was forced to move somewhere else. And the thing is about certain venues is that they come, they come completely, uh, they come completely like ready with their own makeup artist, own hairstylist, all those things. And because she lost the venue, she lost the makeup artist. And me being the type of person that I am, I was like, hey, I'm not only a designer, I'm also a makeup artist. If you guys need my help, you know, just let me know. They asked me to see pictures. I showed her head makeup artist my pictures of work that I did. And they were like, okay, cool. They're on. And that's pretty much how it works. You know, up until now, I've never told anyone that story. Ah, no pl- one knows that I did makeup for Tiana Taylor's fashion show. And she was very grateful, wasn't she? She was like the sweetest person. And very, very down 
down to earth. Like, I remember her, I was standing right next to her when she was trying to explain to them that, hey, I didn't have anything to do with orientation outside. It shouldn't, it shouldn't affect me. All these things, all these things. And I was standing there, I was like, she is so nice. Like, very down to earth. It's so funny because within just meeting or just seeing her for the first time and then within minutes, boom, uh, now you're working with her, you know? Yeah, yeah. It just, it's, all about, nice. it's all about positioning. But I think, too, you have to have the right attitude because those type of people are already very negative and they have to Right. Correct. Correct. Janae, what's needed to encourage or empower Caribbean designers? Like what resources are missing? What 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 is it that you wish you had when you started out? Trial by fire. Yeah, very much a lot of fire. <laughs> talk to us a little bit about, we, we touched on it earlier, but talk to us a little bit about your shows. There was a lot of flair and pomp and circumstance, and I guess you said Victoria's Secret influenced you. But why did you even, um, even though you were just starting out, why was it important for you to um, have such elaborate shows? Because... Your shows weren't just there to display the bathing suits. You had events. Yeah. I'm extra. <laughs> that's a simple answer. I'm very extra. Um, I like to do things nice. Um, I go to fashion shows. I used to go to every fashion show that I was able to go to. And I would always put myself in the attendees position. And then the day... People are paying their money to come and see something. And it's very boring to just have people walk down the runway. The clothes are nice, but people have a tendency to check out after a while. Like people's attention span is very short by mm. nature. So you have to make it feel be on the edge of the seat expecting what's next. That's simple. I wanted to give the experience that I would want as an audience member. That's all it was. And I'm extra. Very extra. <laughs> and I'm extra. <laughs> <laughs> how is uh how has Caribbean fashion influenced the world? The Caribbean is a vibe. Our culture is interesting, right? You have to take into consideration that there are many islands in the Caribbean, and none is like the other. We go to, I, I made this realization just last week, and Glow and St. Martin is right next to each other. 
but they're like the sun and the moon. Like they don't even look the same. If you island hop, you realize that all their cultures are different. The things that they're interested in are different. The way that they dress is different. And all these major designers, they come to the Caribbean to shoot their campaign. Particularly going back to Victoria's Secret. One of my memories, my, like my primary school memories, is almost being knocked down by Airbanks. She was driving a rental really fast. And that's when like all the Victoria's Secret models were here shooting at campaign. I think like a lot of people realize that most of their swimsuits are shot on rendezvous. So let, let let me get this straight. You were almost as a child, you were almost run over by Tyra Banks. Yes. <laughs> did she did she and it's strange because I recognized that it was her. Did she did she stop to come out and say uh, sorry? No. No. Oh my goodness, what a story. <laughs> I have so much story. I don't I don't talk much. <laughs> Janae, why is fashion important? Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, at some point within the last 10 years, you decided to break all of our hearts, me included, and you <laughs> stopped designing swimsuits and you switched completely into being not only a makeup artist, but a retailer, and you opened the Face Lab. Why did you switch to makeup? So what? So, so you let me get this straight. You were not only designing the swimsuits and the leggings and the clothing, etc., but you were also do, applying makeup to all your models. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. But um, I did a course with Sasha Cosmetics, the same ladies that I met in Ghana. I did a course with them the following year. I kept in touch with them, and then. I sat on my certification for a while, never, just doing the makeup for my own models. And like you said, I made the decision in 2017 to just hang up my hat. I think I was over it. Um, I had been designing all my life, and it, was, it wasn't the same spark, it wasn't the same joy, because I made certain goals and I had achieved all of them. I went to New York Fashion Week. I did Fashion Week in LA. I traveled all over the Caribbean. Like I felt like I did everything. Then I had a regional show of my own. So I hit a plateau, and I had my son. And the designing thing was costing me more than I was making. So I was like, you know what? I need something that can turn over really quickly. 
and when I did makeup, I was making enough money to be like, okay, I prefer to do this. Amazingly, amazingly, you did all, you did all those things before age thirty. Most most people, you know, don't accomplish those things. And how many people can really say, "Hey, I've come from a very small place, and I've sh- I've shown at both LA and New York Fashion Week." That's amazing. I, I don't know. I've never thought about it like that. <laughs> but yes, the only thing I think I didn't do was Miami Fashion Week. Is that Miami Swim Week? Swim Week, That's yeah. Me. So see, you still have more, more, more things to accomplish. There's Miami Swim Week. There's Milan. There's London. You never know. Paris. Yes. I'll do those things as a makeup artist. Oh wow! Oh wow! I would definitely do those as a makeup artist. And makeup is such, it's a billion dollar industry. Um, who are some of your favorite artists? The other day I was looking at some pictures from the mid to late 2000s and, you know, around 05, 06, 07, 08, uh, you know, 9 and 10. When you look at photos from back then, especially women of color, black women, brown women, their makeup looks shiny. It was the era of the of the razor thin eyebrow. <laughs> and... It looks archaic to us now, but that was that was the fashion back then. But one thing you I've noticed, um, even as a visual artist myself, is that makeup nowadays on black women and brown women, especially with artists like yourself, they, it, it's so flawless and it's so beautiful. Back then, there wasn't. It's very ashy. There weren't many, and, and and it was a big thing back then where you would actually see the, the makeup face separated from the rest of the person's skin color. Now, what innovations have taken place in makeup to enable um, black and brown artists to to better serve their clients? This is a topic that I absolutely love. So, I you this and and i've always wondered you know rihanna's not she's not she's not even 35 as yet i think how how and she can and she and she also came from music which means she wasn't necessarily and from a small island barbados she wasn't necessarily into makeup uh at the beginning of her career what i'm what i'm wondering is how come it took for her such a young person to even take the risk and the jump to do this. All these companies with so much money, did, did they not think that black women had money to buy their products or was it just 
Let me just be frank. Was it a matter of racism or was it a matter of business? I, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. It's more business because a lot of people feel as though the lighter skin tones that these brands offer are for white people, but it's not. It's actually for the Asians. These brands cater to the Asians because Asians take these very seriously. It's business. It comes down to we don't make up enough in the percentage and I could be wrong but I'm quite sure based on the research that I did do according to these brands you don't make up enough of the percentage of the sales but is that true though because now that Rihanna's brought uh, darker skin tones for darker women boom she's a billionaire so somebody's buying this stuff what Rihanna did Rihanna wasn't the first but I think a lot of people don't realize Rihanna wasn't the first brand to cater to darker skin tones. There were other brands, Makeup Forever had the same shade range from the beginning of time. Um, L'Oreal had a, a, a huge range. Maybelline Fit Me had a huge range. It's just that Rihanna's influence of informal made a difference and the fact that she used darker skin tone persons in her campaigns is what made the huge difference. Because unless you tell me you have something for me, I won't know. Until I'm like seriously searching. But she wasn't the first. She just made it revolutionary because she was like really dark women in her campaign. That's what made the difference. Right, right. Because I guess that's when other women. included. That's what it is. She made us feel included. When other when other brands would do campaigns, it would be lighter skinned women or or you know Caucasians or Asians. Racially ambiguous. They have to be what we just call red girls, uh, girls with curly hair or Hispanic girls that you can't tell what race they are, and white women. That's what they did. But no, because what Rihanna did, everyone's known. So, oh, she making a lot of money. Let let's get a piece of the pie. It's business. It's not racism. It's business. Interesting. So interesting. Also, you also have to take into consideration that women of darker skin tones, not because you might find the correct shade for that person, means that it's the right undertone. We have so many undertones. So it's kind of harder to cater to us as well. Explain what, it, what, what is an undertone. Explain what that is. You can either have a red undertone, yellow undertone, or a neutral undertone. So, have you ever seen, like, you come back to when you see those girls from the, from the 2000s with their skin looking a little gray, or a little ashy? That's because the skin, the undertone of the foundation, or the undertone of the powders wasn't right. Got it. Okay, okay. So, it's very complicated, very complex. It's a science. It is a science. Now, I'm fascinated by something. Um, about two or three years ago, when we were when we were allowed outside, <laughs> um, you encouraged me. I won't say dragged, but you and you kind of did dragged me to a uh, makeup extravaganza in New York City. Um, yes. I had no interest. And I I kicked and screamed my way my way there. Um, you had a good time. However, I was blown away and fascinated by the world of makeup. And one of the things I learned that day from you and uh, speaking to other artists was that there's certain makeup that's that can only be purchased by licensed makeup artists. I had no idea. Explain that to, to the audience. There's things made for pros. Brushes. Um, like as a regular person, you wouldn't want to buy like a pro kit. Because pro kits have all the shades that you need. They're bigger. They're bulkier. And it makes our life a lot easier. When you use them professional brushes. Professional brushes, they are available to like regular people. But it makes more sense for us to buy because of the constant cleaning that we have to go through with using our tools. So they are made a little more sturdier to last a lot longer. 
as a pro because you have to buy so much makeup. If you're a licensed makeup artist or you have or you're a certified makeup artist that you can prove that you're in the industry, they give you a discount. Interesting, interesting. I mean, I, there were so many different people there. Oh my goodness, just amazing stuff. Um, I, 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 like I said, I was blown away. I went there kicking and screaming. I was ready to go back too. And they closed down the world, like the week it was scheduled to happen again. Oh, that's right, that's right. Um, it was closed down by the pandemic. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, Janae, uh, okay, uh, well, okay, you kind of done address that. I was going to say space is opening up for black women in the last 10 years, but we kind of talk about that already. Three, well, you can okay, three, two, one. So, with the uh, advent of Rihanna's brand and everybody else jumping on the, on the bandwagon, per se, do you find that there are more spaces opening up for women of color, black women, brown women? Um, from the time you started observing makeup back in in two thousand eight. Yes. Um, I think that the beauty space is a lot more welcoming to women of color now. There are a lot of brands that are top tier, are very popular, and they're black owned because black owned brands is a thing now. Um, we're more inclined to support our own. We have like the, the, the great Pat McGrath. She's legendary. She's basically beauty royalty. Pat McGrath, um, yeah. Yes. Then we have the very popular Julia Smith. That's black owned. She's an African lady. Very very popular brand like at this point in time if you're in the beauty space if you're a makeup artist or makeup enthusiast and makeup lover if you don't have a Julia space palette then you just ain't really part of the community period um one of my favorites Colored Rain is also black owned but even more importantly she's from the Caribbean as well she's from Grenada and her brand is known for like the best on the planet like they are amazing and it makes me feel connected to her because she's so much smaller than this one um they have Rihanna then we go back to women of color because a lot of people don't realize that women of color also include the Latino community there are a lot of Latin owned brands that are really really good it's a lot it is a lot it is a lot (laughs) Now, speaking of brands, uh, not only did you decide to go into makeup full-time as an artist, but you have started your own retail store in the Caribbean called The Face Lab, and you have your own brand now in terms of cosmetology. Tell us about that. Well, I opened The Face Lab because I was very annoyed when I finally decided, okay, I'm going to be a makeup artist full-time. And I couldn't find any products. And the places that did sell products, the people who were selling them weren't knowledgeable about what they were selling. And I wanted to give people who live here the same experience they would have like when they walk into an NYX store or a Sephora. Like you have people who are ready to help you and also capable of helping you because it's impossible to get a foundation from someone who doesn't know how to match you. That's it. So that was my motivation behind opening the store. And I am a makeup collector. I have lots of products. And there were just certain things that I couldn't find or that I felt I wanted in one palette or in one place, uh, certain things. And I was like, you know, oh, let me just do this myself. It felt it feels good that you could create something, and that's what I did. I have my own eyeshadow palette. I have my own um, setting powders, my own lip line. But I'm really known for my lashes. Like my lashes are bomb, amazing, and they are the most affordable on the island. Best quality and best price. So you've taken on entrepreneurship 
in a totally different space. Are you more fulfilled with the makeup space than you were with the design space? I think I am. I think I am. Uh, like I was trying to say earlier, it's new. So it's usually when something is new, it's a lot more exciting. And when it's exciting, you put your all into it because you want it to, you want it to give you a return. And I'm a lot older now, I'm not that old, but I'm a lot more mature and I have real responsibilities now. So I'm more driven. I think before when I was designing, it was a love for design and it was fun and it was carefree. I was able to hop on a plane and go different places. I don't have that same freedom now. I have like real life responsibilities. It's a different perspective. Indeed. Indeed. What type of makeup is your favorite to to do? Glam? Theatrical? What's what's, what's your your bag? Theatric. Like I said, I'm extra. Like, I'm regular. You won't have someone walking and say, hey, I want a lot of color on my eyes. Everyone wants, I just want soft glam. I want soft glam, but my, my strong suit is color because at the end of the day whether I'm a designer, I'm a makeup artist, I, I'm I essentially an artist. And to be able to create interesting creations is always gonna be the most appealing thing for me. Always. That's why you enjoy doing the whole carnival thing, is it? Oh yes. <laughs> I am the carnival makeup artist. That is my niche. That is my arena. And 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 you still have to go to different islands to uh, to to perform. Yeah, the the pandemic, the pandemic messed up my whole plans. Oh no! <laughs> but I've got an opportunity to travel different places to do makeup, so it's pretty much the same. I do. I'm a regular at St. Martin's Carnival. That is fun because it's completely different than ours. Like St. Martin, people take carnival serious. A lot of the times we start the day before, and if we don't start the day before, we start 12 a.m. So you legit work in from sundown to sun up. Well, I was going to say, um, um, you guys are on your feet a lot. That's an understatement. <laughs> like, after those, after carnival days, you can't move for a couple days. Wow! How many how many faces would you execute um, during a carnival period? Like on a let's say on a parade day when the costumes go down the street, how many how many uh, faces would you execute or uh, make up or beat as they the say? Most I've ever, the most I've ever done is sixteen people in one day. How many? 16. That's a lot because makeup takes what about an hour? Depends on the makeup. Uh, it depends on, yeah. Well, not necessarily depends on the makeup because carnival makeup is going to be problem with the makeup. It depends on how much people you have to do. I think what happened that day is I was supposed to have an assistant and something happened to her, so I ended up doing hot bands as well. Wow, 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 wow. Now, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I can ask you this or, or, or if you can tell us, but who are some of the celebrities that you've done makeup for? Um, I did work on the Colin DuBois video, his song with Adana. She's a Tobago artist, amazing artist. Um, like you said, I did the fashion show with Tana Taylor. I did Patrice Robert on one occasion. That is who comes to mind for now. I um I did Charles Factor the other day and I felt very accomplished. She's a local celebrity and I was very nervous for some reason. Of course, of course. Track uh tracking field um royalty. Yes. In those in these in those sure parts. What advice do you have for aspiring designers and makeup artists? Find your own niche. And 
world where it's pretty hard to have originality, you have to find your own niche and continue to be yourself. Because as long as you're being yourself, it's going to be authentic and people are attracted to authenticity. Janae, what would you say to your 10-year-old self? Do what you're supposed to do. Do what you set out to do. Don't procrastinate. You may have the tendency to procrastinate. Just do what you have to do. And make sure you enjoy doing it. The minute that it stops being fun, uh, enjoyable, find something else to do. Don't force yourself to do things that don't feel good. Lovely, 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 lovely. Now, Janae, I know that you have been an advocate for body positivity as well as addressing the elephant in the room um, globally, which is discrimination against darker-skinned people. Um, And you recently made a speech uh, to an audience of young women. Tell us about your speech and also tell us about your advocacy in trying to Highlight why these why these uh, two groups of persons should not be discriminated against. Tell us about your your work through uh, both fashion and makeup and and, 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 the, and the makeup industry. Well, now that you put it that perspective, the fashion and makeup industry it probably brought me to where I am now because there was always when I did shows, when I did fashion shows, there was always a lack of darker skin models. Now in the makeup space, there's the fight for darker skin products. And let's just be real, I have been three things on my lips. I've always been dark skin. I've always been fat. And I've always had, well, I have a natural hair texture. And these are not things that I can change about myself. I mean, yes, I can probably go to the gym and, you know, get a little gym body, but essentially I've always been seen as a fat person. And I see myself as a fat person. Too, thick, thick. Who use the word thick? No, I, I have started using the word fat. And the reason for that is, is because there is no power when you use that word against me. Oh, she, look at she, she fat. That can't do me anything. Because I can see that for myself. What it is you feel that you should use that as a word of hate and a word as, as an insult? Like, it doesn't make any sense to insult people for things that are obvious. You can't change it. I can't change the fact that I'm a dark skin person. So you can call me black all you want. You can say, oh, she dark as night. But you can't even see she in the dark. But you can say whatever you want. It, it no longer has power. And these are the things that I wish I saw in myself, I realized in myself when I was a lot younger. It would have saved me a lot of heartache. And being someone who is recognized and people look up to, uh, people even know about, it's important that I own these things and people who, kids or girls who look up to me can see that I'm okay with it. Because they'll find a way to be okay with it as well. It's important because we have a lot of black girls, big girls, girls with natural hair who see these things up in themselves and want to change it because of how others see them. And they need to start seeing themselves in positive ways. And I want to be that person that they can look up to and say, hey, look at Janine. She She got a store. She's a makeup artist. She's somebody that people respect or whatever. And she's okay with how she looks. She's happy with the way that she looks. They need those influences. They need them. Very deep. When I did this speech, like, I had a lot of parents, parents, like, contact me after the fact. And they were like, hey, I need you to send a speech so that my daughter can see and hear what you're saying because she don't like herself. She always has an issue with how she looks. And these things are, like, we're already fighting so many battles just being black and living our black experience. We shouldn't have those issues within ourselves. Like, lighter skinned people should not look at me and feel like they're superior to me 
um, I shouldn't look at a lighter skin person and feel any hatred because of their skin tone and what they are able to get because of that. These are things that we cannot change. These are things that we have no control over. So we should just start accepting each other and just live in a positive way and just speak life into each other because we have so much things to fight against. So much. Like, the battles that we have to fight are much greater than colorism and things that we could solve internally. Profound. Very deep. What are some makeup tips that you can give to women who are too afraid to start uh, doing makeup on themselves in particular? Because there are a lot of women that I know that say, I, I don't wear makeup because I don't know where to start. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want it to look ugly. Where should they start? A good foundation. Good foundation. Good concealer. A good lip gloss. And how, but how do you know? How do you know what's good? We go to a place like the Face Lab. Ah. professionals who are willing to help you. That's the one thing I love about being in my space. Like, people who see me outside of my store, they have this impression that I'm standoffish, or she and somebody you really want to talk to, until they actually come in the store. I am so delighted to help people on their journey of wearing makeup. Um, it's nice to like you know break people out of them shells. Shells like I get a lot of what I like to call makeup virgins as a makeup artist, and they always like like the expressions on their face the first time they see themselves in makeup. Because a lot of people have this con- conception too that oh I don't like that cake on my face. You can do it. Like, that's a good thing. Makeup in what makeup caters to, it caters to everyone. If you want a light look, a dark look, if you want it to look heavy, if you want it to look like it's barely there, there's a product for you. It's a product for everyone. Interesting. Janae, what what is the next big thing for you? What's the next big thing that... I'm not telling you. Oh, it's a secret. I respect that. Yeah. But it's big, though. Yeah. You always have to be bigger than the next thing. Um, Christmas is a really big time at the store. We call it Labmus. And we have... You call it Labmus? Yes, it's Labmus. 12 days of Labmus. And I've put a lot of work into planning those two weeks. Going back to the question about uh, makeup, where if 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 someone is in in the United States or in Europe, what are some of uh, of your favorite stores um, that people should go to to get that type of assistance? Based on experiences, I like NYX. The experience at their store is really, really good. Their products, not so much, but the girls are really, really helpful. I love Sephora. Love Sephora. It's very expensive. Well, it's more on the expensive side, but again, the experience is a really good one. Ulta has like all the really good products. I haven't had good experiences in their store. But they have all the trendy products and stuff that most people would be looking for. Um, then there's good old Walgreens. Walgreens have all the what we call drugstore makeup. And drugstore has really given high-end products a run for their money in the past couple of years. So you can find makeup almost anywhere now. It's, it's a thing. That's true. I've seen a lot of drugstore makeup challenges where they have to run in and collect, you know, fifty dollars worth of makeup and it, it, it do a a look, etc. Yeah, but you know, right? Like I, for a while, I used to go to New York every year, sometimes twice a year. And the last time I was there, like they transformed one part of the Walmart store into a makeup section that wasn't there before. So. 
that just tells you that vitamin failed me perfection in Walmart. Now. The beauty industry is growing and growing and growing. Because you have to take into consideration, right? Women like themselves. Women like to look good. So, makeup in those things are always going to be needed. Makeup is like one of the oldest industries in the world. It dates it, it back to ancient Egypt. And women like to make themselves look good. Wow, see, I didn't know that. Oh, it is a lot of history. <laughs> it, it's in, no matter what time frame uh, era we are in, you'll always find a woman that wants to make up mm-hmm. The trends always change because if you look at the picture of, of like, the ancient Egyptians, Egypt there's like a lot of that heavy eyeliner. And you look at pictures of the royals, their faces are very white. And it changes. In the 40s, red lipstick was a thing. Fire engine red. Yeah. Red lipstick is life. Now, so Janae, when you are 105 years old and you're on your rocking chair overlooking the ocean and you're up on the big porch of your mansion, tell me, what is that thing that you want to accomplish and you can sit down and look out and say, I wanted to accomplish that thing and I did accomplish that thing. What is your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal isn't fashion or makeup or anything. My ultimate goal is my son to just turn out to be a human being. That's and ensure that everything I do, I am a great example of how you should go through life. That is my ultimate goal. To be decent enough for him to look up to me and use me as a guiding worse than his life. Mm-hmm. It's all about family. Yes, of course. It don't me you don't have anything. There you go. So, Janae, this is a section of the interview where I strap on my spacesuit and I jump out into the atmosphere and I leave you on Planet 30 all alone. Tell the audience whatever it is you want to say to them. Always strive for whatever you want to in life and make sure you go after it. Keep your circle small and surround yourself with people who inspire you like I do. My sister is my, one of my biggest inspirations and she's also my partner in everything that I do. You need people who will genuinely be in your corner. And... Family is everything, and beauty is essential. I think that's it. That sounds like a t-shirt. Family is everything, and beauty and is essential. Favorite, yes, and my favorite, favorite, favorite quote in life is, in everything that you do, make sure that there is love, light, and lipstick. Look at you. The t-shirt slogans are, are, are coming. Here's an important question, Janae. How do we contact you? How can we follow you? Give us a give us a rundown. I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is glow.by.j. I'm also the face lab is facelab.axa on Instagram as well. And I'm on Facebook, Janae Raymond, and it's Raymond with an E-R-E-Y-M-O-N-D. So, so your IG is glow.by.j. I love that. Glow by J. Huh. Swimsuit designer. Um, swimsuit designer, makeup artist, expert, and retailer. Admitted eccentric. She says she's extra. Janae Raymond, I cannot thank you enough for being on Planet 30. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. 
Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is onplanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.